And welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I'm joined here with the always amazing and very snazzily dressed. Um, I am always snazzily dressed. You especially are. Especially with, with the sweater vest. Yes, you it's, are. It's good to be here with you, and it's also good to hear the old music again. Yeah, I, keep old, ha- I think I have it on the old button. You have the old it. button, so it's just an old habit. It is an old habit. So I um, was just reminded today that I had a memory of the first time I tried to do a podcast in my office was like a year ago today where I had some old equipment and I, I, I broadcasted on Facebook like, oh man, I re- really wish I had Will Harley's Roadcaster. And about three months later, I did have <laughs> Will Harley's yes, Roadcaster. You did. You, you went out there and invested in it. In fact, I think when you came out here once and said, oh, that's really nice. And then and you're like, oh, I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> And then he comes up to my my office and he sees a little uh, tech equipment. He goes, "Oh, that's really nice." And then I find that it's got this. He's got the same tech here, so that's that's all right. Yeah, it all works out well. It does, and and you know that allows us to have um, flexibility flexibility to go to the two different campuses, and we can do podcasts, and we can do Bible studies, and we can kind of wire people in and and do some things that we normally couldn't do. So again, I'm gathered here with my cohort in crime, uh, Pastor Rudat, who who is probably more techie on the video end than I am on the audio end. Yeah, I brought end. you in, kicking in screen and streaming. Yes, I'm, I'm more of an audiophile than I am um, a videophile, but we made it work, and, and it's it seems to be doing okay. Um, our show for today is, is probably another well-known um, parable, scandalous story. Still scandalous Still after scandalous. all these years, even though it's well-known. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking about that, but before we, we jump on into the this well-known parable and sort of take it apart, we do want to give a brief disclaimer, and that is um, it's just two pastors. We're sharing our thoughts. We haven't really pre-thought what we're going to say. Um, so if we say something that is offensive, if we say something that you're like, I don't know if I agree with, fear not. These are just our thoughts. You can you can write us. You can share your thoughts with us. We can apologize if we've misspoken. Our intention is not to upset you. It, it really isn't. It is to uh, uh, just have a conversation and to start the ball rolling on, on really looking at the scriptures and seeing how we can live our faith through and in the scriptures. Keeping, of course, the doctrine of our church bodies, um, but recognizing also that some of our opinions as opinions don't necessarily reflect what it is our calling bodies have have called us to do and our our synod might have said in their professional documentation. Yes. And so we are this is the beginning of a conversation, so we invite you to join the conversation. Talk to us in person at St. John and Maribel. That's where Will Harley is. Or you could come to St. John and Maribel no, you could go to Emmanuel and Shirley <laughs> to see uh, Dave Rudot and talk to me in person. You can email us, castingnetspod at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Facebook or on YouTube. If you like what uh, what you're listening to, you can help us move this program along to others by liking our podcast or making a good review of it. Don't give us five stars because that will get too big of a head. You, you can see, obviously, if you're watching this, I've already got a big enough head, so please don't make it any bigger. Give us four stars. Uh, and help move the program along. And you know what else moves this program along? Good coffee. Yes, this program is brought to you by Good Coffee, good, good where coffee. every good coffee is sold, right? And unfortunately, I'm running out of good coffee. I have to go. I think I have some more stashed. You have some in uh, up up in the north. You have some really good stuff. I know. I have like loyalty said, stash. brand, and then there's a there's a there's one. Uh, Freedom, freedom fuel. Very good. It's, so it is stashed. It's just not here. So I use the end of it. And so uh, um, that's all right. But let's uh, get on into our music for today. Uh, once again, um, leading us into our conversation. And this one you probably haven't heard. I'm going to throw a new one Ooh, at you. All right. I'm ready. So here we go. All right. I, yes, I can't I like tone it down. Too. You have to do that every, every I need that 
MP3 file of that so that I can I have play that every before every sermon. I can just play that as I go up to the. No, it just really call. gets you going. I gotta get it onto a trigger where I can I can tone it down. Uh, and right now, it's just on a trigger. So, but sure. Welcome back to the show and uh, um, our topic for today: dealing with scandalous stories. We've been kind of following um, this the book "Scandalous Stories," looking at uh, some of the parables of of our Lord, um, and we're. I would say firmly in about halfway through, I, I would definitely say. Um, and so our our scandalous story for today, found from Luke uh, chapter 10, is is really what we're looking at. Luke chapter 10, um, and we're going to be beginning at, at verse 25. We're going to go through verse 37. Now, I guess my question is, how do we want to approach this? Do we want to do we want to read the whole thing in a block or do we want to cut it up? Do we what what would you think? I think we should read the whole thing, and then we can uh, just walk it, th- walk our way through it. Okay. All right. Well, let us then jump. Whoop! I put up the wrong scene there. We're not in the post show yet. Um, let us go and uh, walk our way through then this text. Uh, so the Good Samaritan, we know it. Uh, we've heard it before, um, but here we go. Just then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. What do you read there? He replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It just so happened that a priest was going down that way, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also happened to go there. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he felt sorry for the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, when he left, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever extra you spend, I will repay you when I return. Which of these three do you think acted like a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he replied. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Again, a very familiar parable, but it is in an interesting setting. Jesus had just sent out the 72 to go out and proclaim the good news, and they come back to Jesus, and they are they are pumped. Uh, look at all the cool things that are happening. Even the demons submit to us in, in your name. They're using God's word. They um, have been called by Jesus to be his, his uh, apostles, and they are sent out, and they come back, and there's good news, and Jesus is He's also pumped. He is, he is praising God. God, I thank you that you've given all this cool information uh, to your people, but it is also information that is hidden from some of your people as well. So this is God hiding things in plain sight. Why is it hidden? Because of their own sinful nature, because of their own. God has given the word, the clear word out there in the Old Testament that the Messiah needs to be here. Even though you have the Ten Commandments, even though you have all of these regulations, it's always pointing to Christ. God is always illustrating that they aren't holy. They they need to be cleansed. They need to have blood spilt uh, to take care of their sins. And this Savior is coming. He's coming soon. But still, people are blinded by their own self uh, selfish nature that uh, they they want to figure out. Oh, you're giving us a bunch of rules. I bet you I can get to heaven by following those rules. And then here comes this parable. Well, and I, I think what you have here in in this parable is is not anything unusual because this is not the first time Jesus has been asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, but the way that he answers the question, I think, is 
is really telling of the heart of the person who's asking. So the first time that we came across this was a rich young man, right? Yep. A rich young man comes and says to the Lord, what must I do to inherit um, uh, eternal? Good teacher, he starts off. Good teacher, yeah. what must I do? And, then, and he says, why do you call me good? And, and then from there he works into, um, you know, do you know, you know the commandments? Don't do the, and then the man says, well, I've done those things, what more? And then the, the Lord leads him and says, give up everything, rely on me, right? And he, he can't do that. And there's sadness in, in that interchange. Um, Jesus is, is sad that the man can't do that and then makes a comment on the reliance on wealth. This case, we have a man who's coming up with his sole purpose is to test Jesus. His sole purpose is really to not, not really find out what, what must he do, but to be validated in what he's doing and find, find fault, fault with the Christ. Yeah. So you have two drastically different, because if you read this section, you're thinking to yourself, this is, there's a lot of law here. I mean, there's not a lot of not a lot of grace, not a lot of of hope for coming back. There's just a lot of do this, and you will live, and you're going to live. And Forever. if you don't do it, yeah. you're kind of <laughs> forget it. You're done. <laughs> yeah. um, and you're like, wow, Jesus didn't have any hope for this man. But I I, I think it's because of the. Well, we're told it's because of the, the the heart and the mind of this person. He he's very resistant to really correction itself. Mm-hmm. So um, right out of the gate, I, I like how you, you mentioned it's a test. So he is not actually inquisitive of asking of Jesus. He's looking for validation. He is looking for justification. He, um, we know this for sure later on, but just in that one word to test Jesus, we tell you it, it tells us that this young man doesn't really want the answer from Jesus, but he wants to, uh, like you said, figure if Jesus is either validate the young man or, or and or uh, invalidate Jesus. And so uh, it does have this interesting phrase of what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and notice the difference also, and I have the text up here for, for those who would like to be able to read it. It's not just the testing of Jesus. You have an expert in the law who... He already knows this isn't new for him. And and his response is different than the rich young man who said, good teacher. I mean, there was respect there an understanding, maybe not fully from the rich young man of who he was talking to. We have no respect coming from this, this set, this expert in the law. I mean, it's, you almost can see that he's acknowledging he's a teacher, but probably not correct. He's got a smile. Yeah, behind that the the smile yeah. of, of a thousand knives are ready to stab him. Um, exactly. What must I what must I do to inherit eternal life is is a phrase that is interesting because normally when you retire when you inherit something you don't do anything to inherit it. It's but again it's a it's a manifestation of his wrong thinking in his head where he is looking at God's law not in terms of something that points to Christ but instead of a, a, something that tells you what you should do and Jesus um, addresses him. And says, well, if we're going to talk about that, if we're going to talk about what we have to do, let's talk about that. Well, and and I think let's just be fair and, and take a step back and say, okay, he is an expert in the law. And so if he's an expert in the law, he is an expert in the, the old covenant, which in many ways you could say was a bilateral covenant, even though it wasn't intended to be a bilateral covenant. Um you could see where they would, they're not looking back to Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham saying, um, you know, I'm going to do this for you. And he's walking through the the bulls that were, were cut, right? And, and, and Abraham was put into a sleep and he gives the promise that I'm going to do this. They're looking more to the Mosaic law where the Lord says, you, I will be your God. You will be my people. You will do these things. And he's looking at God's, God's words, his, his commandments, the moral laws, the, the governmental laws. And he's saying, this is our responsibility to to uphold them for God then to reciprocate in this way. And yeah, so, forgetting Exodus 20 verse 1 where God says, I am the Lord who saves you. And then now yep. moving you into the, the law as a guide now, and he has twisted it in a sinful nature to make the law into something that... Absolutely. And this is something we do all the time. And and we do this in life. And and this is, I think, where where, you know, we could cast stones on him and say, How dare he does it? But but we do this all the time. You know, I'm gonna suck up to grandma because I want to be in her will. (laughs) Or Pastor, what do you think about A, B, or C? 
Right. Or pastor, when you preach, why don't you tell me what to do after you're done? I mean, it sounded really good, but what am I supposed to do with it? Uh, it's this idea that we have in our head that that I need to have the guidance. I need to know what to do. I need to know, I need to know the steps that if I do the right steps in the right order and how I and, and put them all together, I'm going to have the result that I want. And, and the reality of the situation is, and you've said it so beautifully, is promise and inheritance are not something you earn. It's something that is given by the graciousness of the one who owns it. And and that's that's the beauty of inheritance. I inherited something not because I earned it, but because they desired to give it to me. Um, and so we have that. Uh, and I, I, I'm ready to move on. Are you ready to move that's on? That's fine. Go I, for it. Because 26 is Jesus being snarky, in my opinion. What's written in the law? What do you read there? It's like Jesus is like... <laughs> um, he, he, like, like we were saying, if you're going to go about, if this is all going to be about what you do, well, let's let's read and see what the law says, and what does it actually say? What what is there? And the man answers correctly: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, the the rich young ruler that we had earlier, that we mentioned earlier, he only was uh, Jesus only addressed the second table of the law. This young man, this uh, young expert in the law, knows both tables of the law. In fact, he says the very same thing that when somebody tested Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. Well, and then if you notice, at the very end of that, what does Jesus say? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now do it. <laughs> do this. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and it's in the present tense. So it's like... Uh, not like uh, do this on Saturdays. But yeah, or all the time, or do this once a week and then say or kit or once every year. Um, do this all the time, and and this is the this is the part where where we kind of get hung up on the law, because we think of the law as a one and done. And okay, I I can I can check it off on the checklist, right? I did this, I did that, I did you know, and then we can go to the Lord and say, okay, here are the laws that you gave me, and and here's my checklist. And God, it, yeah, go ahead. Well, God looks at that and says that it's not a, it's not a checklist. It's a life. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're expecting God to be looking at the same aspects of our life that we are, but God is looking at everything, right? Not just the things that we're saying, or not just the things we're doing. He's looking at the things that we're thinking, and He's looking at our attitudes, the thought that, and so, and not just limited. Yeah, he, He's giving these commands. So if we just narrow it down to them to the moral law, and to say, okay, here are the Ten Commandments, which is what He sums up. He sums up the Ten Commandments, and He does so beautifully. I mean, it's not as if He doesn't have the information. You sum it up in love. Love is not something that you just do once. I mean, it, and it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's a, it is an action. Um, but it's it's like saying, okay, I love my wife. Do I only love her once, and then and then th- that love is gone, or or is love this commitment that is says for every aspect of life from now until when God parts us, every waking moment will be enacting this action of love. Sometimes tough love, sometimes a sentimental love, sometimes emotional love, sometimes intimate love. Sometimes it'll be the love of friendship and companionship. Sometimes it'll, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it'll be the love of patience. Always putting something, someone else ahead of you. So you're putting God ahead of you and you're putting your neighbor ahead of you. Right. You're a third. But it, but it's, it's a, it is the lifestyle. Yeah. It is right. not the, I did it once. Yeah. It's a worldview. Right. Exactly. And, and I think we've, we've, we've taken the law of the Lord and we've, we've removed it from that. And we've taken love itself and we made love into something that is, we, we fail to realize that love is the greatest law word ever to be given. That, that truly the word love is the greatest, the greatest word of law. And we've made it sound so pretty. We really did. We've made it sound so pretty and empty. (laughs) And yet it is not empty and it is pretty, but it is, it is pretty stark in its idea of you must love as Christ loved you. And, and so, so when we say, and we step back in Lutheranism and we say, well, you know, the law was really written for Jesus. The law, the moral law was written not to be fulfilled by us at all because we can't. 
it is it was made to be fulfilled and seen in Christ. And so you have in First Corinthians, right? First Corinthians uh, thirteen, the the greatest chapter of love, uh, where where you have love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't. But I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And you're like, and everyone's like, I want that for my wedding. And I'm like, okay, but you realize it's not talking about you. <laughs> It's not talking about anything you or your husband are going to be able to do. It's talking about Christ who's done it for you. And because of Christ, you know, we, we go back to the scriptures. We love because he first loved us. Um, so the motivating factor is Christ. The motivating factor is what has he done? The motivating factor is completed in him, now freed in us to respond. Um, <clears throat> this man doesn't get it. Yeah, He understands what Jesus has to say, but he's already his... He is already uh, working, looking for a workaround. He's already looking for a limit or a caveat, uh, a, uh, looking for the fine print. Who exactly is my neighbor? Yeah. You know, wanting to justify himself. So it's it's interesting a turn where the man comes in, he's going to test Jesus, and now all of a sudden he's feeling attacked. Uh, he's got to justify himself uh, to Jesus because of Jesus using the law in its severity uh, of just saying, do this. You, you got it right. Do it all the time. You will live. You will live not just here on earth, but forever. You'll be perfect. Do it. Go. You know, uh, you don't need my help. <laughs> just you, you got all the answers. Well, and, and isn't that isn't that exactly what we hear in the law? And and we see that. I mean, it's not new. This isn't new information. Um, we heard that in the Sermon on the Mount. You hear it in Leviticus nineteen verse two. Um, you know, be holy, be perfect as the Lord, your God is perfect. And we look at that and we say, that is the greatest explanation of the law. Oh, I gotta be perfect. And we fail to realize it's a to be verb that God is placing what God commands. He gives and what he gives, he commands be holy. God is making you holy through the work of Christ. But we look at that and we're like, that is also law. And it is, I'm not just, I'm not discrediting the law aspect to our sinful nature. It's telling us be something you can never be. And, and act in a way that you can never act. And it does, it, 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 it has produced in this man exactly what it was intended to produce, which is a guilty conscience. Yeah. And then he's looking for a way out in the sinful nature is saying, you know what, there's a way, there's a way up. If, if only Jesus were to identify for me, who exactly is my neighbor? Cause we don't have to do this all the time. Do we? I mean, well, it, not it, only it, that, but I want my neighbor to be a person I actually can tolerate. Yeah. Right. You Somebody know. I like. Yeah. Right. I'll I do mean, something nice to somebody who will do something nice back to me. I mean, Pastor that, and Shirley, that... he's all right, but <laughs> <laughs> is he really my neighbor? <laughs> but it's that it's that idea, right? It's the idea that that we want to pick and choose who our neighbor is, and and this is maybe more of a more of a connection than we care to admit because we live so often in a world, um, and this this has been changing for a very very long time, but but. You know, the, the, the garage door, oh, what a beautiful invention, but how horrible it has been for neighbors. Um, you, you pull up to, your, you pull up to your, your house, you open the garage door, you pull your car in, the garage door comes down, you get out of your car, and no, you never interact, right? There's no interaction between um, you and, and the outside world. Um, you sit in your backyard with your nice picket fence that, that cordons off people from you. Um, and I don't get involved with their problems, right? Um, <clears throat> if I see something or if I hear something or um, I'm more apt to call someone else to go and deal with it than to walk over and, and talk with my, my fellow neighbor or talk with someone I have a problem with. Um, people stand in the store and they're more apt to hold their cell phones and, and and be looking at their cell phones than interacting with the very people that they're standing in line with. If you even stand in line anymore. Because now you disorder everything online and they come and they deliver it to the back of your car and the only questions and the interaction you have with someone else is what? Um, yeah, this is my name. Oh yeah, this I noticed what they were given what they were going to give or not give um, because they did, ran out of the product. And and so knowing who is your neighbor, knowing about their life, right, and and being invested in that, um, what that is something we totally need today. And it's not just the one who is next door, not and and that's what the the uh, when the young man or the expert in the law asked Jesus, neighbor, he's using a Greek word, thinking about like who's who's the person who's close to me, and then Jesus is going to blow that up because that's what's going to make this scandalous. Like just 
Jesus, tell me who's who's close and who isn't. And Jesus is like, I'll tell you who's close. And it keeps going. It's, yeah. It's the... Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. And, and the story is going to be... What what makes the story scandalous is not only is it going to tell you who your neighbor is, but it's also going to point out the, the person that you never thought would be neighborly is neighborly. And the people that you would have expected it from aren't. Um, and so... Uh, he does. He jumps on in. We're going to go back to to the verses here um, because I think we want to maybe point out a couple of the... There's some people that get caught up in... in um, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, some people get caught up and say, what road is that? What what? Um, I think they even called it, I read one thing, uh, the way of blood, the road of blood. I actually like walked that. that road. I've never been there. I can't yeah. say I've when walked my, that road. That 20, 1990. Was it bloody? It was not bloody. It was hot. It was like 40 degrees centigrade, which is, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but I just remember everyone said it's 40, and then it was 44 later on that day. But it's just, it. it's interesting where he talks about going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Even though you're going from south to north, it is going downhill. Right. Um, and uh, it's a lot of valleys. It, there isn't a whole lot there. Uh, and there's even, a lot of even hiding 2, places. Years, yeah, even 2,000 years later, and then as we're walking down, you're like, it's hot. And you're like, oh, I just want to go to the cave. It looks like that'll be nice and cool. But then you remember that uh, caves are used for uh, restrooms by animals and people. So the caves are not very pleasant places to be in. Yeah. And and and, and the yeah. idea. So anyway, yeah, it's desolate. It's, I mean, there's there's nobody out there. There's no help. Right. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a risky place, uh, risky traveling. Well, and it's a, and it's a major thoroughfare. Yes. So, I mean, you have to go. You, you have to take a road to get out of Jerusalem. It's just, it is. And it just happens to be that it's a desolate place. It's not very well, uh, can't guard it as well as you would like uh, or as often as you would like. And so you have a lot of people that will do nefarious things. And so it got the idea. So so the, the way of blood, the road of blood, um, whether earned or not, yeah. it doesn't really matter. The, the idea that is coming behind here is that we have something happen. And so what do we have? Robbers, right? Stripped so, him, beat yep. him, yep. leaving him half dead. Uh, so they are, he is, he, he can't find any help anywhere. He's, he's completely vulnerable. Uh, he has nothing to offer. He's, um, he, he needs help and he has nothing to give in return. He can't give you any money in return because he's, he's been robbed. Uh, yeah. he can't, he can't, uh, uh, help you out in any way because he's beaten, half dead. So any help you give this man, it has to be one hundred percent you helping that individual. Right, um, and I, and and what a beautiful connection to what we truly are by nature. Um, absolutely beaten. Um, maybe you don't realize it, but as you get older in life, you you kind of start feeling it more and more. When we're young, we think we're conquerors of the world, and bad things happen, and are like, okay, well, I'll get over it. But as, as it takes its toll over time, we don't get over it. And and you see the sinful nature continue to beat us down. The sinful nature leaves us literally half dead over and over and strips us of everything. Um, and, and what a beautiful connection you see in what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, okay, this is us. It's not just, who cares? He, and, and out of all of them, Interestingly enough, out of all of the characters that he mentions, he doesn't mention the nationality. He doesn't mention the occupation. He doesn't mention anything about the man who's beaten. He just says, there's a guy beaten. So that could be you. Yeah, and be it probably is. <laughs> and But then yes, he mentions some other th- other yeah. things that happen. And so um, you have the priest. the priest who comes by. So you, we're starting at the top. You're starting on one whose job is to serve people, right? Yeah. His job is to serve people. Um, he doesn't and, have uh, to work his own land because the people will serve him because he's serving them. Right. And and so you would think out of all the people, this is the guy. He's going to be, you know, go to pastor. He'll help you out. Um, and uh, and he doesn't. Goes on the other side. So yeah. the book had that interesting insight that I did not think about. I don't often... It's sometimes really easy where you say, well, it's an inconvenience to help somebody who's truly in need, who's truly been beat up. And the book talks about the idea of what if this guy was thinking, if he's dead, I will now become ceremonially unclean. So then, you know, here I have to go. I just left Jerusalem. Now I got to go back there and get clean again. And so just the whole concept of this is going to be a 
not just a huge inconvenience to take care of this man, but now this is a personal inconvenience that now I have to go back to Jerusalem and get myself clean again. Yeah, and 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 I have read that before that people have said that that the priest's excuses could have been, um, you know, the ceremony uncleanliness, the the touching of blood, which is uh, forbidden, um, the thought that he maybe be going to serve or uh, just coming back from service, and so. Um, there's a lot of the ceremonial aspect, um, and and I'm thinking he's using, and 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 I was just thinking this now, um, what a what a great connection to use the very people who work in the church with the scribe. I mean, you got this, you got this this per- person who is expert in the law. He knows the laws that the priest should be following. He knows the Levitical laws that the the people of Israel should be 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 going and doing. And so he he's Jesus is using that background as as kind of the linchpin in driving that nail further and further into the coffin. Yeah, he's the hero. The priest would be the hero for the 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 expert in the law. Like these are the the people that he holds holds up in high regard and respect. And now all of a sudden he becomes a bad guy because for whatever reason Jesus doesn't state the reason why he stepped on the other side. Well, and Jesus I think doesn't that's good call that him he a doesn't. bad guy. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, he, well, the fact that he didn't help him makes him a bad guy. Well, I mean, but he doesn't come out and say he's a bad guy. He just he he's he just painting. says he's not a neighbor to the others. Right. So right. So that. Therefore, bad guy. That's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, because I get what you're saying. I, the only the only pushback that I would have is is he's still the priest. He's still performing on the ha- on behalf of God's people, and and the point of the matter was not that he was not doing a service for God's people. The point of the matter was is he does not treat everybody as God's people. Yeah. So yeah. that doesn't make him a bad guy per se. It just makes him human. <laughs> And, and humans are bad guy. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. I'll give you that one. <laughs> so Levite, so uh, somebody who works in the temple, so somebody who may not have all of those stipulations for keeping themselves clean, uh, may not have it, just maybe a little bit less of a barrier for him to help this man, but still he doesn't. He walks by the on the other side. Yeah, and then you're left with the one, right? Um and the one that is there is the Samaritan. So the, the very person that in the story you would be like shouldn't be the one who stops, the one that is uh, culturally and historically, you know, enemies of the Jewish people, um, you have you have this person now stepping up and he is uh, he's going to do something that, that the other more Jewish people wouldn't even do. And, and this isn't the first time that Jesus uses Samaritans um, or we see in the scriptures that Samaritans do things that we did not expect, right? Yeah, uh, we today we have you know really nice things. For, we have a good Samaritan society. We, we have good Samaritan laws, law to protect people who are if you're helping somebody out and you somehow injure them in trying to help them and save their life, that there's laws to protect you because you're being a good Samaritan. So we always have that connotation of a good Samaritan being someone good, but in Jesus' day, the Samaritan was the was was the bad guy uh, just before this text in Luke chapter nine? Uh, Jesus is heading from uh, Samaria to Jerusalem, and the people of Samaria uh, in this town were were resisting his his efforts there. And the disciples were like, "Lord, should we call down heaven a fire from heaven? We can make this like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, this is like these Burn. guys, these people deserve this. You know, so get the marshmallows. <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Uh, it's time for the barbecue. So, uh, yeah, so they are the bad guy. So I think for us, uh, the implication is is the, the Samaritan can be anybody, especially those who you don't like, especially those whom you would say they're not worth my time. Well, and I think this, and, and please tell me if, if I'm overstepping in, in my thought here. I know this, I know the scribe isn't thinking this, but we in our in our mindset after seeing all of the scriptures and the fulfillment in Christ, you know, what makes this story to me even more scandalous is that Jesus is taking the enemy and he says that's me. Yeah. And and, and to me that's even more scandalous. He's not saying I'm not, I'm not the priest. I'm not the Levite. I am this enemy of God's people. I I am I am the Samaritan. And I'm doing what is what is needed to be done, um, and and the only thing I can keep thinking about in my in my head is how many times because of my sinful nature do I treat 
Christ is the enemy, right? How many times um, have I thought that God has been my enemy and it's not been Satan and it's not been my sinful nature and it's not been who I am that's really the problem, but it was God who was the problem. And we do that all the time. Whenever something bad happens, we blame God, like God did it. Um, God, it's God's fault. Why did you do that? Like he's the enemy. And, and so as the enemy, what we perceive as the enemy, he still comes and helps. He does what needs to be done. How that to me, uh, like I said, I may be I, overstretching. No, I like that picture of the one. He has no obligation to help us. And I think that's what we always think is that God is somehow obligated to help us because he created us. Uh, um, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for Green Bay Packers, it doesn't like the fact that God sends people to hell because how can a, a loving God send his creatures to hell? That's his when he was on uh, a podcast with um, his then girlfriend, Danica Patrick. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, because they like to discredit that God also is just. I mean, we could go into that yeah, long, right. long conversation. But, but I like the point of he comes in as the enemy because he really is the enemy. He has nothing. Yeah. Uh, he has no obligation to help us whatsoever. In fact, he has every obligation, and according to justice, would be to punish. Yeah. That that and and this isn't this isn't new to scripture. We we were born right enemies of Christ. We are enemies to the cross of Christ. We are we are deserving of His wrath. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. We are we are children of the the father of lies. Um, that means we're God's enemies because He is the father of truth. And <laughs> these are the good things. Um, and so yeah. Christ is our enemy, and yet as our enemy, he does everything to make us whole instead of doing what we would anticipate should be done. Um, now He binds up his wounds. He pays yes. the two denarii, two days' wages, so however long that meant in staying at the hotel. So he is, he is now And then promises to come back. Yeah, and then promises to come back yeah. and repay. So the innkeeper isn't just going to... Uh, give him room and board, but now is charged with taking care of this man, making sure that this guy gets back on his feet uh, 100%, and that Samaritan takes accountability for all of it. Yeah. So so could I make another connection? That, you can make connections. And and I'm not saying this is exactly what the text is saying, but, but notice this man who's rescued by the Savior, right? He's rescued by the Samaritan. He's not rescued in place by himself. He's put somewhere to where people will watch over him. He's put somewhere in into a place where where people are in now enlisted and 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 equipped to to do the work um, of of what the 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 Samaritan would want. Um, God does this, right? He brings people and he he brings them. And, and maybe this is something uh, as as I'm as a, another book that we're reading together and we're starting to read. Um, we're looking at this change in postmodernism and this change in in society, and we see how people are like, I don't need the church, I don't need this, and I can still be a Christian. But it's like, no, no, you're that beat up guy. You're, you're that you're the one that has been left dead because of sin. You're the one that is dead. Because of sin, and and now the Samaritan has come, Christ has come, and He has rescued you, and He has paid for you, and He has done everything for you. But He didn't do that and leave you alone. He didn't just say, "Ah, we'll bandage him up and leave him on the side," with a couple of coins. Here you go, kid. Yeah, he 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 <laughs> yeah. brought them to something. He brought them. We've had this conversation about community before. We've had this conversation about the church before. But that's what He did. He brought them to church. To, to the community of believers, to the to the place where he will continue to receive healing through the sacraments and the word and, and through being uplifted and, and being connected and God will come back for his church, come back for for us there, right? I think there's there's just something very profound. Now, granted, did the scribe ever get any of these things? No, we're looking into it and saying, wow, that I could see this illustration and I could probably make that connection. Jesus dealt with him exactly where he was, which is he still didn't get it. <laughs> I do like the picture of the care of our Savior that he doesn't just leave us. He doesn't just take care of us one step or take care of our immediate need, but he's going to take care of our constant need. So he is the Samaritan is going to make sure that it isn't just about this day, but and all the healing that this man needs to get to where he needs to go. I'm going to provide that. And that's what Jesus does by not just rescuing us in the waters of baptism, but putting us in the, in the church and giving us an, a community of believers who God has placed in our lives to help us. And then therein lies the rub is that are we actually helping one another? Are we actually being vulnerable 
to one another so that people can help us. Uh, I, I think that's one of my greatest disappointments of the pandemic. I thought, well, here I'm going to have all this extra time. God's people are going to be spiritually kind of, this is a, an upheaval time. Maybe they'll call, call me and talk to me. I, I reached out to them uh, as best I could, but it, it didn't come the other way. The people are like, well, I don't want to bother you, Pastor. I'm like, that's why I'm here. I'm here for you so that if you are feeling like you're getting beat up, Come, come talk to somebody and, and, share, and lay your bait burdens down because we're meant to carry these together. We're meant to bring each other to Christ. Um, and so that's kind of my, uh, it's, I, I really like this parable and that's what makes it kind of scandalous is this, this idea. And I like the point that we have brought before is that we are all beat up at one time or another. We should, we should be opening our eyes to this, that we are all beat up. We all need Christ and Christ has put us in a community so that we would bandage one another's wounds that we would bring the healing power of forgiveness to one another so that we can build one another's up so that we can send us all on our way. Well, and, and I think the, the, one of the things that, that the pandemic really did um, that affected us more and more and more is, is it brought to light or it brought to light a great lie. And, and what brought to light, the great lie was um, non-essential and everything became non-essential and and so the the very work that god had called us to became non-essential um and so it was the great lie against vocation and then the the community that god had placed us and planted us in to grow with became non-essential and so the great lie of family became a huge thing and then the, there was the, a, there was a ton of potential. We could have still been community in a in a, I in agree. a virtual sense. No, I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. Hundred. There was a ton of potential there. Like there was all of this potential for us to be to rise yes. to the vocation that God has called us to be as Christians, as pastors, as individuals in the congregations. But we we didn't. Right. And 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 then I, and I was going to say it also then came to solidifying in many people's minds that the very church and being present in church was non essential. And so it became this whole, and you could even throw in there, school became non-essential, right? Having to go to school, education became non-essential. Um, and so you have all these things that have, that during the pandemic became non-essential. And, and, and so you have people that are now beat up and floundering, what is essential? And they fail to realize that just because the world said these things aren't essential, just because the world didn't give credit to them and thought they were less, doesn't mean that they were. And, and really the, the opposite is true. They are more important now than ever before. That, that, that what God has brought you into and what God is doing for you and the community God has given and the vocation God has placed you in, whether it is clerk behind a counter or uh, accountant at a desk or pastor in the service or whatever the case may be, and anywhere in between, these are more important than ever because God has placed people to be with people. That, that it is not good for you to be alone and it is not good for you to be out on your own, but that you would be in community and you'd be sharing, especially the word of God. And so you have this idea in the Good Samaritan that, that you have this playing out that, that, that God comes and he gets you and he places you where you need to be and where you need to heal. And that is neighborly. And so to, to, to me, what becomes very scandalous is the question. That, that Jesus asks. Which of the three do you think acted like a neighbor to the man who fell among right. robbers? That's such a good question because it's, it's not like who was the neighbor, but who acted like a neighbor? Who didn't think they were a neighbor? Who acted like a neighbor? I, I, I like we have a listener who gave a really good comment. I think we need to read it and go share ahead. it. Um, so <laughs> the comment that one of our listeners wrote is, uh, go out and make disciples of all nations unless you get sick. God said, or it said God never. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I think that's true. And the question, coming back to that question, um, which one is the neighbor? Acted like a neighbor. Yeah, which one acted like the neighbor? Um, and, and we know the answer. The man knows the answer. Yeah, He's going to say, I suppose the third. <laughs> the one who showed mercy. Right, the one who showed mercy, I suppose the third, that one. And, and what's the point? The point is, I understand I'm not him. And and I would say the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, I understand I'm not him. It's 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 really easy to hide behind all the other things in our life. It's really it's really easy to hide behind the job. It's really easy to 
to, um, um, and I've done it too, where I've said, you know, I'm going to encourage someone else to go and do this because we need to be encouragers too. But then I myself fail to take it up and say, but I'm also part of it. Um, and you have what this, you have this beautiful part where, where, yep, I'm not the good Samaritan that I want to be and I should be. And I granted, I know I'm not Christ. I, I will never be Christ, but that doesn't mean I cannot be Christ-like um, and reflect that into other people's lives. And I fail. So, And, yeah, Jesus doesn't uh, give him any gospel, go and do likewise. Yeah. He's like, okay, go, do this. And then and then he he's still, Jesus, in talking with the man, he's still trying to function the way that the law in the Old Testament functions which is leading them to Christ, leading them to say, I can't do it, and I need someone who's going to do this for me. And uh, Don't you wish you had the rest of the conversation? Yeah, whatever happened to that expert in the law, we don't know. Yeah, like did he respond and say, but I can't? And then the Lord said, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but your yeah. sins are forgiven, go I in peace. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> don't you just wish, you're like, oh, I need that. Give me that part. But yeah. we don't. Yeah, the young man goes away sad because he had great right? wealth. So that's not the the yeah, the effect of this whole uh, parable is not given to us. The, the end right. result, go and do likewise, is the haunting end uh, right. of of the parable. Is a reminder to us that we can't go and do likewise. That we need Christ, who is going to do and and be likewise for us and by His power and through His work in it, in our hearts. Then we also um, help. Yeah. one another that we act like a neighbor because even if we don't feel like a neighbor even if we're in our in our hearts we are like oh this is such a great burden for me to put somebody else ahead of my own i'm going to at least act like a neighbor it doesn't mean it doesn't make it righteous by any means but it this is who i am this is what god has called me to do i am crucifying my sinful self which says take care of yourself and or this is a big bother for you i am saying i'm going to crucify that and say i'm going to do the hard thing by helping somebody who needs help. Um, and I am going to put myself second. I'm going to put them first and whatever, whatever is good for them is good for me too. And, and I like what you said there, you know, even if as we're attempting to do this, it's not changing my standing with God in any way, shape or form because I'm not doing it perfectly. Um, and I think that's something very important. This this whole entire parable does not answer the question how how I how must I inherit the kingdom of God? It's asking the que- or answering the question who's my neighbor? And I think sometimes you know we we the, the initial question was how can I inherit? And then the answer was love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Then the question was who's my neighbor? And so the parable is not answering the question. This is how you inherit eternal life. I I treated everyone nicely. That's that's not the point. The point was you treated them like a neighbor. Now, love God <laughs> and love that neighbor. Not just treat them like a neighbor, but love them, love God, um, and 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 work that way and work together. I this is one of the things that really struck me as I was reading this about helping your neighbor. And just thinking of how we as congregations, are we actually helping one another? Because it's always like, this is, here's the illustration during, we're thinking of the pandemic. Well, pastor, we need to put a streaming, we got the videotape. And I was like, and I said to them, well, St. John Maribel does a videotape. Morrison Zion does a videotape. Why do we need to do the same thing? Why don't we just move our men, our people in that direction? Same thing with uh, early childhood. St. John Maribel is doing an early childhood. We need to do an early childhood. And I'm like, well, we can, but can, why can't we just advertise for St. John Maribel? Uh, same thing true, or St. John Maribel is saying, we, we need to have a youth group because Emmanuel Shirley has a youth group. Well, why don't you just send your kids to Emmanuel Shirley? Why don't we work together? Why don't we help together? What is it that we can't help each other do ministry together? Why is it always has to be our own little turf where we're helping people? Why don't we work together uh, to help those in need. Why don't we work to, why are we always so territorial? So that was one of my, my really, I was reading this and I'm thinking, who is my neighbor? A lot of times we're, we are always just thinking of the person who's stranded on the side of the road or the person who is, who is beat up. Why don't we think of each other as neighbors and helping one another? And, and so oftentimes we are looking at only ourselves and not what is best for our neighbor. Well, and, rant over. and, and no, but it, it's a really appropriate rant because I think sometimes we say in the process of I'm giving them a helping hand, it's for my better interest. Yeah. Um, and it's not 
that's not what God is saying. And I, and I like what you're saying because we are not in the mindset, even as the church, as holy as we think we are, uh, we are not in the mindset of multi-ministry. We had that podcast before where we dealt with multi, multi-site ministry, where we're all together working in different locations, but together. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that we really need to think about in the church. Greater Christendom, not just in our area, because we we are these fractioned little places, and those those little places, and and this is the great fear: is they're seeing themselves die. And they don't know what to do. And so they circle the wagons instead of saying, nope, it's time for us to... Let's go. Let's let the Lord take yep. care of that. We're, Let's we're, just work together, use our resources together so yep. that we can serve the most uh, with the people with uh, resources that we have and yep. let the Lord sort it all out. Absolutely. And, and I, I say all this and I rant all this. I say it my own self. Like, how often does my church share stuff that other churches are doing? How right. often does your church share stuff that other churches are doing? How often do you share things that another church, a Wells church in the area is doing, or is it only just your Wells church that you're sharing or be involved in it? I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing to say, you know what? I don't have to switch churches and where I go on Sunday and who I gather around for Bible study to say, Hey, they got a, like you said, you know, Shirley's got a youth group. I can go and volunteer my time there and help with that because I think that's important. And, and our church, we don't have enough backing or we don't, whatever the case may be, we can do this together and I can volunteer there. Go yeah. do it. Fine, yeah. great. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dissuade you and say, "Oh, you you have to stick here to church." No, we have a lot of people that that are from our church that are singing in choirs in other churches, or that they're doing music in other churches, or that you know, if you're part of the Lancer Singers, if you're in our area in MLHS and you're Lancer Singer, you're singing in other churches. Fine, great. These are these are good things. Um, I mean. You don't have to switch your membership and say, "Well, I guess I'm gonna have to be a member now over there because I'm used." No, it's we're in this joint ministry together. So that's my my little rant as it as well. Um, so good, scandalous story. Next week, I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for next week. It's, we get to do a podcast next week. We do, but we get to talk about fathers. Yes, and we fathers. get to, uh, and we also have a uh, 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 pastoral studies institute podcast next week as well. We do? Yeah. That's going to be awesome. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. 